The second Bible reading is Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. Please follow it on the screen or in your Bibles or on your phones. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to stop him, to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, it would be great if you could uh, keep your Bible open. Uh, we'll be working through that passage. If you're a note taker, you'll find an outline there as well, so that might uh, be helpful. But as we begin, I'm going to pray, so please uh, pray with me. Gracious God, we know that your way is perfect and that your word is flawless. We know that you shield all who take refuge in it. And so as we consider your word today, may you help it to be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Words are extremely powerful. They have the power to build up and to tear down, to encourage or to shatter we know words are powerful and I was reminded of that this week as I uh, stumbled across the account of a dad whose son competed in uh, long distance runs and so uh, as some of you might know I'm currently training for a half marathon and so it kind of piqued my interest I was like oh well, I'm quite interested to hear what he had to say and uh, yes I'm, I am working towards a half marathon and I've slowly built up over time at the moment my best is 16 kilometers uh, which I was quite proud of. Uh, just as a side note, if you're interested to know, John's best is 15 kilometres, so uh, I'm sure none of us are counting though. Uh, but anyway, uh, this guy described about his son in these uh, long distance runs, and as his son, his, this dad would stand near the end of the finish line, and as his son would come around the final bend onto the final stretch, his legs would be like jelly, his lungs would be aching, he'd have no energy left and just as he's about to give up, this dad would call out to his son, keep going, son, keep pushing, son, just the last bit, son. 
And those words of encouragement would help his son to have that final burst of energy that he needed to make it that final stretch of distance. And so, of course, the moral of the story is, uh, if you would like to come to my half marathon and stand at the end to shout words of encouragement to me, come and see me afterwards. But also, of course, words are powerful. And we all know that, don't we? Words are powerful. I mean, think about how powerful some words are. I'm sorry. I love you. I forgive you. I care about you. Words are powerful. They have the power to change profoundly when we're feeling worn down after a long day at work. There's nothing that can pick us up quite as much as those words, I love you. When we're in the middle of a fight and there's tension and anger and yelling and frustration, there's nothing that can take the heat out of the argument quite as much as the words, I'm sorry. Words are powerful. But as powerful as our words are, and they certainly are powerful, today we see one whose words are even more powerful. Because while we can use our words to comfort those who are sick, Jesus can use his words to heal those who are sick. While we can use our words to give solace to those who are captive to forces beyond their control, Jesus can use his words to free those who are captives. And that's what we see in our passage. We see the power of his words, the power over spirits and over sickness. But as good as that is, right at the end we see that actually there's something even more powerful that Jesus uses his words for. Jesus shows us the primacy of his gospel. And so as we do look at Luke 4 today, we'll see the power of Jesus' words and the most important thing he can use them for. And so we get into our passage then, and Jesus has just been in Nazareth, and now he's off to Capernaum, which was a prosperous fishing village. And when the Sabbath comes, he does what he did in Nazareth. He teaches. Uh, But while they tried to kill him in Nazareth, he gets quite a different response here. Have a look at verse 32. They were amazed at his teaching, because his words had authority. Now, the Greek word there for amazed actually or literally means kind of struck with panic or with shock. They're they're completely astounded by Jesus' words. They're blown away by them. Why? Because he taught with authority. Now, this is likely a reference to how rabbis used to teach in those times. They wouldn't rely on their own authority. They'd base their arguments on the authority of others. So they'd quote others. To get authority, they'd say, well, Rabbi John says this, and Rabbi Yuvi says this, and oh, Rabbi Brian says this. I mean, that's how they'd get their authority. But that's not what Jesus does here. He speaks powerfully and clearly. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And the people are amazed at that. They're blown away by this authority of Jesus to explain God's word. And so as he's speaking and teaching, they're sitting there and they're engrossed in it and you can just imagine the hush as they're hanging on every word that he says. When suddenly the peace is shattered and a voice cries out, verse 33 and verse 34, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? 
Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, this demon sees what Jesus is doing. He hears the incredible authority of Jesus' words, and he doesn't like it. And he begins by saying, uh, what, do you, what do you have to do with us? Uh, the Greek literally means something like, uh, what do we have in common? And it's meant to be a rhetorical question. In other words, he wants Jesus to leave him alone. And it's understandable that that's how he feels because he knows that Jesus can destroy him. And as he stares at Jesus, and he, as he listens to these authoritative words coming out of Jesus' mouth, he knows that he is way out of his league, that he's in the, in the company of one far more powerful than he is. And so that's why I think he says that final bit. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, that's not a kind of last-ditch effort to ingratiate himself with Jesus. Rather, at the time, it was believed that knowing someone's true name gave you power over them. It kind of put them under your command. We even see that in more modern fairy tales. So you see Rumpelstiltskin, where someone's true name gives you power. So this demon is frantically attempting to put Jesus under his command and his power. But of course, it doesn't work. Jesus simply speaks and the demon obeys. Have a look at verse 35. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them and came out without injuring him. The literal Greek there is rebuked. He rebukes the demon. He tells the demon off like a parent telling off a naughty child. And then the demon obeys. And it's quite different. I don't know if you've ever seen exorcisms portrayed in movies or on TV shows. There's usually kind of um, chanting and hand-waving and long, complicated sentences. But not the case here. Jesus simply calmly yet firmly speaks. And the demon obeys. In fact, he doesn't even pray. Did you notice that? Jesus doesn't pray. He simply says, come out. And the demon comes out without injuring him. And if we thought that people were amazed before, they're even more amazed now because not only does Jesus teach with authority, he also can even command evil spirits. See, this is the power of Jesus' word. Power over evil spirits. Now, which is truly amazing. We often think of evil spirits as one of the more powerful things in the world. We know our weapons can't work on them. Swords and spears, even guns don't work on evil spirits. Uh, often we can't see them and we think of them as these incredibly powerful forces. Yet for Jesus, the power of his word is that he simply speaks and they obey. And then as the story continues, we see the power of his word again over sickness. Jesus leaves the synagogue and he goes to Simon's house. And when they get there, they tell him, Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Now, interestingly, Dr. Luke gives us an extra little bit of information here that we don't get in Mark's parallel account. We find out that this isn't just a fever, this is a high fever. This isn't just a man flu that we're talking about with a few kind of sniffles and coughs. This is a dangerous, serious fever. And with our medical advancements, I think we can, it's easy to forget just how severe these, these kinds of things were, but this is long before the days of antibiotics. And so this is serious. People can and did die from high fevers. And so they asked Jesus for help. And did you notice what he does? Have a look at verse 39. 
So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Again, he does that same word. He rebukes it. What a strange thing to do to a fever. This is the same word that was back in 35 when speaking to the demon. And it's the same word that he'll use again in verse 41 when rebuking the demons there. It means to tell off, to command. It's a little bit like how a a teacher might rebuke a misbehaving student or someone might rebuke their dog when it's chewing on the furniture. It means to command, to tell off. But the point of Luke using the same word here isn't to say that sickness is caused by spirits. It's not to link them in that sense. And we know that because in a minute, Luke differentiates between the two. But rather, the point is to show again Jesus' incredible power over forces that are so, so strong. Forces that are so powerful. And we know that sickness is strong and that we can't simply command sickness away as much as we might like to. Uh, As many of you might know, uh, a few years ago I had to go into the hospital at quite short notice. Uh, Basically, they called me up on a Friday evening and said, uh, you should go into the emergency department right now. And so I did, and I spent the weekend there. And it was a difficult weekend, particularly because I was in there with a blood condition. And one of the possible causes of the blood condition was leukemia. And so we thought that might be it. Now, uh, in God's kindness, it wasn't. But as I lay there in this sterile hospital ward late at night, With the hospital noises all around me, the beeping of machines, the emergency announcements going over the speakers, as I lay there amidst that, I would have loved nothing more than to be able to command the sickness away, to tell it, leave me alone. I'm sure you've experienced sicknesses that you wished you could command away, whether they be flus or colds or something more serious. But sadly, we all know that we can't do that. We don't have the power to do that. Yet Jesus is different. His words are so powerful that he simply speaks and sickness obeys. And in fact, it leaves Simon's mother-in-law so instantly that she's able to stand up and resume normal duties. Have a look at verse 39. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Uh, The literal Greek word is to serve. She began to serve them. She's healed so instantly that she can resume normal duties, which is quite remarkable. Think about the last time you were sick. How long did it take you to fully recover? Not just recover a bit, but fully recover. I had a bug last year, and it hung around for weeks afterwards. For weeks afterwards, I still had a bit of a cough. I still had tiredness. I still wasn't feeling 100%. Yet here, Simon's mother-in-law is healed instantly. So instantly that she can stand up and keep serving. And I actually love that about it as well, that it reminds us that there's purpose to Jesus' healing. He doesn't heal so that we can sit back and relax, whether it be physical or spiritual healing. No, he heals so we can serve. The proper response to God's grace is gratitude and service which is exactly what Simon's mother-in-law does. And so that's Jesus at Simon's house. We see again the incredible power of Jesus' words, power over sickness. And then as the story continues, we almost get a bit of a recap of both of those. Again, we see Jesus' words, and this time the power over both sickness and spirits. Because the sun sets, and so it's the end of the Sabbath. 
Now, I remember for Jews, there were restrictions on movement and on work on the Sabbath. But that ends as soon as the sun sets. And so when the sun sets, the people pour out and they bring to Jesus all of the sick in their town. Have a look at verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Uh, I love how universal that is. They brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one, Jesus healed them. It's just such widespread healing. Those with flus and fevers, those with degenerative diseases, those with cancer, the crippled, the palsied, the blind, some carried to him, many moaning in their distress, and yet Jesus heals them all. And what a wonderful glimpse of heaven that is, when sickness and suffering will be done away with. See, this is the power of Jesus' words, the power to make wrongs right, the power to drive away grief and misery, the power to heal. But it's not just physical. Again, we see Jesus' power over spirits. Have a look at verse 41. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Again, we see that language of rebuke, like a parent telling off a disobedient child. Jesus speaks and they obey. But have you ever wondered... Why does Jesus not let them speak? Because they're right, Jesus is the Son of God. So surely that would have been a powerful witness to his identity, to see these evil spirits obey and proclaim that truth. So why does Jesus not let them speak? Well, it's because Jesus doesn't want them to know he's the, the people to know he's the Messiah until they understand what that means. Because remember, the people were expecting that the Messiah would be a worldly king at the head of an army, a bit like David. He'd make Israel into superpower again. But of course, that's not the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. Jesus came not to conquer, or at least not to conquer with an army, but to suffer, to die for his people. And so until he teaches that, Jesus doesn't actually want the people to know that he's the Messiah lest they try and make him king by force, lest they rise up and start a rebellion in his name. And so he commands these evil spirits to not give away his true identity. And so that's verses 31 to 41. They show us the incredible power of Jesus' words. See, as powerful as the words, I love you, or I forgive you are, as powerful as they are, this is even more powerful these words don't just have the ability to comfort and to encourage. They have the ability, the power to literally heal. And as I said, it gives us a taste of what heaven will be like. The lame will walk, the deaf will hear, the blind will see. Cancer and chronic disease, flus and fevers, all gone. That is what heaven will be like. And isn't that what we long for? I mean, isn't that what we want? when we suffer from sickness ourselves or when we see others that we love suffer, don't we long for the day when sickness will be done away with? And that's what Jesus promises. That is what we have in Jesus because of the power of his words. That's what we have to look forward to in heaven. 
But as powerful as Jesus' words are against sickness and spirits, that's not actually the primary goal that he wants to use them for. Because early the next morning, gets up by himself and goes off. Mark's parallel account fills us in that he went off to pray. The people go looking for him, and when they find him, they want him to stay. And you can understand why they've just been given a taste of heaven on earth. And so you can just imagine how great it would be to have Jesus living with you. Anytime a kid falls off a tree and breaks their arm, take him to Jesus, get healed. Anytime someone hurts their back lifting something heavy, go to Jesus, get healed. Anytime someone's struck down by a life-threatening illness, go to Jesus, get healed. Imagine what a paradise that would be. But did you see how Jesus responds? Have a look at verse 43. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I mean, how incredible is that? He wants to go to the other towns, not to heal there, but to teach there. I mean, just think about it for a minute. Imagine if here at church, we healed people every week. That wasn't a fraud, it wasn't a scam. Imagine if people came here and were genuinely healed. Tumors disappeared, broken bones mended, crippling injuries done away with. If that was the case, imagine how great it would be. And imagine how many people would come here. People would flock here from all across Australia, all across the world, wanting to be healed. But imagine one week, John stood up and said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to heal anymore. Instead, we're going to do sermons. We're going to preach. I mean, if that's what he said, what would you feel? I think we'd all be quite shocked. Maybe we'd be a bit angry. There's such, so much good to do, so much healing that needs to be done. Why would you stop doing that and preach instead? And I'm sure that's exactly how the people here felt. Why does Jesus want to use his words to teach when there's so much need for healing? Well, he does it because he's using his words for something even better. He knows that that is something better. Because Jesus isn't a heartless, uncaring man. He wants to do what's good and kind and loving. And he knows that as good as physical healing is, spiritual healing is even better. Because while physical healing lasts a lifetime, spiritual healing lasts an eternity. And we know being spared an illness is great. Uh, my pa survived testicular cancer, which was a tremendous blessing for us as a family. But sadly, he eventually died of something else. It's sad, but that's the reality of this world. Death is inevitable. Even if we're healed one sickness, something else will get us. And that's why Jesus' main primary focus is not on physical healing, on physical ailments. Rather, it's on spiritual healing. And that's why his message revolves around that, the good news of the kingdom of God. It's about the fact that we are all enemies of God. We've rejected God as king and made ourselves king. But because God is just, he must hold us to account for that. And so the reality of this world is death. And yet, 
the good news of the kingdom of God is that even though we deserve death and judgment, God still loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us so that we might have not physical healing, but spiritual healing. That's the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus goes to proclaim. And that's a message far more important, far better than physical healing. It's spiritual healing. That's a message far more important than physical life. It's spiritual life. And so that's what Jesus wants to use his words to do, to address our greatest need. And he does it by proclaiming this good news of the kingdom of God. And that's the primacy of his gospel. But the incredible thing is that Jesus' ministry continues today in exactly the same format as that, in the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of God. And in fact, as it does, we get to be part of it. Have you ever thought about that? Anytime we use the word to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, we are joining Jesus in his ministry. We are joining Jesus in what he thought of as the most important thing. I mean, don't you find that so exciting? That in one sense, we get to be part of Jesus' ministry. And we, we certainly live in a culture of, the, of exciting, that loves exciting. I mean, think about any Netflix show or movie you've watched, TV show, book you've read. They're all about exciting things and people doing exciting things. You never see a TV show about someone sitting on the couch scrolling on their phone. You never see a movie about someone going to a shopping centre buying groceries. No, because that's the boring, that's the mundane. What we want is the exciting. And there's nothing more exciting than walking alongside Jesus in his ministry as we proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God as we proclaim eternal, the gift of eternal life that God offers. And what a joy it is that we get to do that alongside Jesus. And so anytime we are sharing the gospel, that's what we're doing. When we heard about Karina before, her sister, when she was eight, I think, shared the good news of the gospel with Karina. And that is walking alongside Jesus in his ministry. Anytime we open the Bible with someone at church and we read together, we are walking alongside Jesus in his ministry as we proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. When you talk to someone at work and you tell them what you learned at church on Sunday, we are walking alongside Jesus in his ministry as we proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. I mean, how exciting is that? What a privilege it is. I mean, if, if God was to appear to you and tell you, I'm going to give you the power to heal, the power to make blind people see, deaf people hear. If God was to appear to you and say that, I suspect you'd be pretty excited. I think I'd be pretty excited if God said that. We'd want to go out and use that as much as we could. And yet the reality is that we're actually promised and given something far better than that, far better than going around healing people. We get to use our words to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, the thing that Jesus saw as much more important than physical healing. And what a privilege and a blessing that is. I find it so exciting. And in fact, that's uh, part of what led me to want to do full-time ministry. Uh, I don't know, I know some of you are aware of this. I studied design at uni. I know I still love designing things. Uh, particularly, I love designing toys and board games and things for kids. And I think I would have very happily spent my life designing things, and I would have enjoyed that. But while I was studying at uni, it's messages like this from Luke 4 
that convicted me of the importance of using our words to proclaim the good news to those who need to hear it. And it's the same blessing that every single one of us, the same opportunity that every single one of us has, whether we're in full-time ministry or not, whether we're at uni or school or working or retired, whatever stage of life we're in, we all have the privilege to walk alongside Jesus in his ministry, doing what Jesus was much more important than physically healing, pointing towards the gospel, pointing towards the good news and the kingdom of God. See, words are powerful. They have the ability to build up or to tear down, to encourage or to hurt. But the most powerful words we have are the words used to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for the, uh, the quite astounding message of Luke 4 that as good as physical healing is, spiritual healing is far more important. As important as it might be to heal someone of physical ailments, far more important to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And so uh, we do thank you that uh, this is how Jesus saw the importance of ministry and the word. And we pray that you'd help us to be excited about that as well. Help us to realize just what a privilege and blessing it is for us to get to walk alongside Jesus as we point people towards the kingdom of God. Uh, Please do uh, fill us with joy and excitement and passion for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.